Well, we're about to dive into one of the most complicated parts of the Bible, uh, one that many of you probably think you understand, and my hope is by the time we're finished, you may see it differently. The very first verse we're dealing with uh, requires some significant historical context, some significant exegesis. The, ver the very first verse, if you look in your Bibles, is Matthew 24, 15. And it says, So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. That's probably enough to get us started. I don't know, when you read that verse, how you feel or what you think it's talking about. But remember, in terms of literary context, as we begin to read from verse 15, we need to keep in mind that Jesus says something about when these things are going to happen. Turn with me down to verse 34. In verse 34, what does Jesus say? In 24 verse 34. Now remember, this is, Jesus, this is the literary context. What does Jesus say? will not die until the things he is talking about actually happen. There isn't another way to read this text. People have tried lots of different things, uh, but... What does that mean? That is the plain meaning of what he's saying. Well, what, what is the abomination that causes desolation? Does anybody know where else in the Bible that is mentioned? Anyone, anyone know where else in the Bible that's mentioned? Uh, well, we'll get to that, but that's not in the Bible yet, Laurie, thanks. Daniel, in the book of Daniel, that's right. Now, a couple of things. When Jesus says, let the reader understand, what is the book he has just mentioned? Daniel. So he's saying the reader, he's not saying the reader of the, of the book of Matthew, because the book of Matthew hasn't been written yet. He's saying the reader of the book of Daniel. Let the reader understand and Many Bible scholars also believe he's saying something else. He's saying, I am now speaking in code. When he says, let the reader understand, he's saying, I am communicating more to the people that understand the book of Daniel than those who can just hear my words. So he's saying, in order to understand what I'm saying, you need to unlock the code in the book of Daniel, is what he's saying. He's saying, I'm speaking in code. So, it's also impo important to know, in the first century, as Jesus was a little boy, one of the most popular parts of the Bible was the book of Daniel. And so, it is hard for us to understand what Jesus is saying here without understanding the book of Daniel. And the book of Daniel mentions the abomination that causes desolation three times. You'll find this in your notes, in Daniel 9.27, Daniel 11.31 and Daniel 12.11. Uh, 
Now, what is, what is happening there? Well, the Jewish people would say when Daniel is talking about the abomination that causes desolation, they actually said that that was a prophecy that was fulfilled 137 years before Jesus turned up. The Jewish people themselves in the book of Maccabees, who Jesus would have, which Jesus would have read and understood, said that, and this is where it's important to understand the historical context. So the Jewish people would say the abomination that causes desolation came in, well, actually, 167 BC. And that abomination was a man by the name of Antiochus IV Epiphanes. Who's heard of Antiochus Epiphanes? Again, it's important for us to understand the historical context. Do you know what Antiochus Epiphanes did that was so horrible that the, the Jewish people said, this is the abomination that causes desolation? In the temple, he built a big statue of the Greek god Zeus. And more than that, on the altar of the temple, he sacrificed pigs, which for Jewish people is horrific. And so Jewish people believe that the, what Daniel was talking about was that moment. But you see, Jesus says, Something else that is a bit like that is going to happen in the future. This abomination that causes desolation, is, it's something else like that where foreigners come and do horrible things to the temple, is, it's going to happen again, is what Jesus is saying. So it's important to understand the historical context. And again, in your, in your notes, there's a lot of references and things for you to do work to understand this later. So what was the horrible thing, the abomination that causes desolation that Jesus was talking about? Do you know um, that about 40 years after Jesus died the Romans came and laid siege to Jerusalem. Did you know that? And they destroyed the temple. And so, one of the, remember the, the question that started all this at the start of uh, this chapter is that the Jesus followers said to him, this is a great temple, isn't it? And Jesus says, well, let me tell you, it's about to be destroyed. And then he says, there's an abomination that causes, like, causes desolation coming and it's going to be horrible. It's going to be absolutely horrible. In fact, what he says is, in verse 16, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house, let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it'll be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath because then there'll be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never, never to be equaled again. 
Jesus is saying a big attack is coming. And again, it's important to understand the historical context. AD 70, 40 years after Jesus died, the temple came and it was destroyed and it was a horrible time. There are stories from that time that are so horrible I don't want to tell you about them. If you want to understand them, you can go and do the historical, look up the history for yourself. But I will read to you what one man who was an eyewitness at that time said. His name was Josephus. And what he said is, when the t- while the temple was ablaze, the attackers plundered it and countless people who were caught by them were slaughtered. There was no pity for age and no regard was accorded to rank. Children and old men, laymen and priests alike were butchered. Every class was pursued and crushed in the grip of war, whether they cried out for mercy or offered resistance. And if you can picture this, the Romans came in in their, with their, in their battle formations with their big flags with eagles coming, presenting, and they marched in and they marched into the temple and they began to destroy the temple. Now, Jesus is saying to his disciples, you've asked me when the temple's going to be destroyed, I'm telling you, it's coming. And remember, he's also said, it's going to happen in your lifetime. So it's, a, it's going to happen about 40 years after uh, I talk. He doesn't actually say 40 years, but he says, this generation will not pass away. And it's important then to understand that Jesus is saying the, the, the disciples thought that when the temple was destroyed, that Jesus would then come back. And Jesus now spends a lot of time telling them, no, that's not what's going to happen. He actually says, if those days, verse 22, if those days, and I really encourage you to have your Bibles open and reading with us. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here, here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you ahead of time, so if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, don't go out, or here he is in the inner rooms, don't believe it. Jesus is giving a warning and saying, things are going to get so bad that everybody's going to say, this is now the end times. The Messiah is here. And he's saying, just because things are bad doesn't mean this is the end times. In fact, what he's saying, what the very next thing he says is, for as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. It's important for you to hear this. Because lots of people have lots of theories and talk a lot about the end times. Jesus says, when I come, it's not going to be a secret. Everybody will see. It's not, it's not only going to be the special people who get to see. He's saying, when I come, it'll be like lightning in the sky and the whole world will see. We're going to talk more about that next week. 
But then he says this funny little thing that people have wrestled with. And again, this is where we need to understand the historical context, the literary context, and we also need to understand the content, what the words mean. He says, wherever wherever there is a carcass, the vultures will gather. So it's a strange thing to be saying that wherever there is a carcass, the vultures will gather. What he is actually saying is where there is a dead body, birds will come and surround the dead body. And he's painting a picture and he's talking about the the dead body of the temple and the vultures surrounding it. But do you know what? Some Bible scholars believe, and this is something I I also believe, you, you can work it out for yourself, but... The word that is translated vultures there in the Greek is most normally in the rest of the Bible. Do you know what it's translated? As eagles. Do you know what the symbol of Rome was? An eagle. And so Jesus is painting this word picture for those that understand the book of Daniel and those that understand what is happening that there'll be like these Roman soldiers everywhere surrounding the temple and it'll be like they're surrounding a dead body why why is that so important well because jesus is saying the destruction of the temple shows that i have won a great victory Up till now, the only way to communicate with God was through the temple. And Jesus comes and replaces the temple. And he, and he says this, that again, this, uh, in verse 29, if we look at that, this is a, a passage that English readers often misinterpret because we don't understand the historical context or the literary context or even the words the content because he says this immediately after the distress of those days the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give light the stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken so what is he saying is he saying that when the temple is destroyed or when he comes back we're going to have a big eclipse and everything's going to be dark because we think scientifically we often try and interpret his language as science but what we need to understand that he was a Jewish man speaking to Jewish people and these words were not the first time that they'd heard these words do you know you know listen to this Isaiah 13 verse 10 the stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light the rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light this Isaiah 13, 10. Do you know what that's talking about? It's talking about the fall of Babylon. It's, and when Babylon fell, it was like, it was so, like the, the whole of the, the earth shook and, and it was like he was using that as a metaphor. It wasn't like the, it wasn't like the, the sun actually disappeared. It, it, in, this is what they call... Jewish apocalyptic literature and if we get to do the book of Revelation at some point we'll need to talk more about this. You'll see that 
Isaiah uses the same language again. As the stars in the sky will be dissolved and the heavens roll up like a scroll, all the starry host will fall like withered leaves from the vine, like shriveled figs from the fig tree. So what is he saying? Well, Peter, when he was describing what happened at Pentecost, do you know what sort of language he used? Turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 19 to 21. This is, Peter stands up and he says, this is what you see happening in front of you right now. This is in Acts chapter 2, at Pentecost. He says, I will show wonders in the heavens and above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What is the great and glorious day of the Lord that Peter's talking about? It's his resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit And as a result of that, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord can now be saved. Peter is using that to try and describe to the people, he's using the same language. So we need to be careful not to read scientifically Jewish apocalyptic poetic language. This language, Jesus is saying, marks... When he's saying this, what he's saying is in this moment, the whole world is going to turn on its head and he's going to have achieved an incredible victory. And the way that people relate to God is now going to be different. And now he says a verse that many people have misunderstood. In uh, verse 30 in Matthew 24, he says... Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Many people have thought this related to Jesus' second coming. And in a minute we're going to sing the days of Elijah where we sing, He's coming on the clouds. But do you know which part of the Bible Jesus is actually quoting when he says this? Do you know which part of the Bible? It's really important to understand. Remember he said, if you want to understand what I'm saying, read Daniel, he's already said. Now let's read, it's really important to turn with me now to Daniel chapter 7 because this verse in Daniel helps understand Jesus' understanding of what he was doing and it changes the way we read Matthew 24 verse 30. Daniel chapter 7 verse 13. See if this sounds familiar. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man. Jesus understood that he was the son of man. See what else Daniel says. Coming with clouds of heaven. Where is Jesus or the Son of Man coming to in in Daniel? Read what Daniel says. Where is he coming to? 
he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. What Jesus is saying is on the other side of the cross, after my resurrection, I'm going to ascend on clouds to my Father and the victory will be complete. I will have won the war over death and evil. This is not a verse about the second coming. This is a verse about Jesus going to God the Father. Can you see that in Daniel? Again, it's important always to understand the historical context and the literary context. Jesus actually quoted this same verse to the high priest when the high priest said, so, are you the Messiah? And, the high, and Jesus says, I am. Is in Mark 14. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. So in Matthew chapter 24, we see that there were three things that Jesus was, was saying was going, was going to vindicate him and demonstrate his victory over death and sin and evil. The first thing that was going to demonstrate that was his resurrection and his, his ascension to God the Father. That was the first thing. That's going to show everybody. The second thing he was saying is going to be the destruction of the temple. And the third thing he's already pointed to in verse 14, and he now says in a different way, where he says, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. What he's saying here... And again, this is where it's important to understand the content as well as the context. Do you know in Greek what the word angel means? Messenger. The word angel means messenger. And I'm going to read to you from uh, what a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary says about this verse. He says, the trumpet is not the last trumpet we read about in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4, but a metaphor for the proclamation of the gospel, which we read about in Acts and the gathering of the elect is this incredible news that God's word of Jesus' victory is going to go through all the world to places as far flung as Australia and Nepal and even America, if you can believe that, and, and all people from those places are going to join the God's chosen Jewish people as God's chosen people. When it says God's chosen people there, we could have a whole other discussion about that, and one day we will. But at this stage, it's, it's, it's enough to say that they are people who are part of God's family. And if you, if you love Jesus 
then, and, and you have welcomed Jesus into your life, then you are God's chosen person. Now, I don't know how you're coping with all this because there's a lot in it, isn't there? There's a lot. But it's important to understand how important it was the destruction of the temple was not a light thing. The temple was the place where heaven and earth came together and Jesus came and said, I am the new temple. Tear this temple down in three days and I'll rebuild it. He's saying, I replace the functions of the temple. And he goes on and he says, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you'll know that it's near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away till these things have happened. He's saying, look, for the Jewish people he's speaking to, watch out. The things I'm talking to you about are going to happen soon. I don't exactly know if they're going to happen in winter or on a Sabbath, I don't know, but I know they're coming soon. The temple is going to be destroyed and you need to be watching out. Next week, he actually starts talking about the, his, the end times and his return. But here, this is a passage that many people have thought refer to the end times because they haven't understood the historical context, the literary context or the content and it's worth noting, I was going to quote again from this professor. It's worth noting that at this historical, cultural and linguistic distance, this bit of the Bible is a difficult part to read. But it's also worth noting that we are significantly impeded. One of the things that gets in the road for us as we read Matthew 24 is lots of people have read it badly, is what he's saying. Worse, there are Bible translations that are deliberately misleading where they actually change the words in the Bible when it comes to Matthew 24. For instance, the Schofield reference Bible actually changed the word generation to race back in verse 34 and in the English today's living version actually adds the word return into verse 33 that's actually not in the text uh, to do the same thing this professor says it's never been more important to read a good bible translation than when you're looking at this text so what there's there's other things uh that we could talk about but we'll just finish with jesus words as the band come up at mornington Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. He's saying, the temple is going to pass away. The things you think are stable in your life will not be stable forever. But I am the way, the truth and the life. And ultimately... If you build your life on my foundation, you'll never go wrong. If you build your life on your ideas, if you build your life on what the culture tells you is right, you will go wrong. Your health will fade. Your pastors won't ever be perfect. 
Sorry about that on behalf of Paul and me. We would love to be perfect, wouldn't we, Paul? Paul's out the back. But uh, we can't be perfect. But Jesus is a foundation you can build your life on. That's what he wants us to hear. And I, I want us to hear that the Bible is fantastic. There is life. It is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, able to divide between joints and marrow, soul and spirit. But it means that we've got to do the work. It means that we've got to do the work of exegesis. We've got to do the work of hermeneutics. And we've got to do the work of then living Jesus' words and not just talking about it. Let's just pray. Jesus, thank you for this incredible picture you painted uh, and sorry that sometimes we don't fully get what you're trying to say to us. I pray for all of us that we would be open to the full weight and depth and breadth of your word. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.